One of the words we've heard thrown about a lot this past year is the word essential. It's an interesting commentary on a culture to look at what we believe is and is not essential. So what about the church? There would be a lot of people that would believe based on their worldview. The church isn't essential. I also think there's a lot of churches that are trying to figure out whether they matter or not, whether they are essential. But here's what I would say. If Jesus tells the truth, then I cannot imagine anything in our culture more essential than the church and her mission. That's what we want to talk about. If you have a Bible, turn with us to the book of Acts. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. So we begin our study of the book of Acts. It's a long book. We'll take it in sections. Over the years, the book has been referred to as the book of Acts, the Acts of the Apostles. All the names of the books of the Bible are put there by editors. They're not part of the inspired text. So about the second century, this book got the name, The Acts of the Apostles, and it's pretty much stuck. In the 1700s, there was a movement to change it to The Acts of the Holy Spirit that didn't really catch on. John Stott, the uh, scholar, offers admittedly a somewhat clumsy but very accurate title for the book. The book is the record of the on going works and words of Jesus by the Holy Spirit through the apostles. It's very accurate with the actual language of the book. The book was written by Luke, who also wrote the Gospel of Luke. He was a Greek, he was highly educated, he was a medical doctor, And so one of the distinctives of both the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts is both books use the most uh, sophisticated Greek language of all of the New Testament. The Gospel of Luke, by word count, is the longest book of the New Testament. The second longest book, by word count, is the book of Acts. So Acts has about a thousand fewer words, but those two volumes written by Dr. Luke are the two biggest books in the New Testament, which means Luke wrote more of the New Testament than any other single author, including the Apostle Paul. One kind of side note In the ancient world, they were writing on what was called papyrus, and it was rolled out, and uh, you'd roll it up and store it or carry it about. And the longest a papyrus could be in order to make it work was 35 feet. So both the Gospel of Luke and Acts take all 35 feet. So part of this is just a practical matter. They're not two books 
about two different subjects. There are two volumes of the same subject. So it's important to understand there's just so much material that can be written on one papyrus, so volume one and volume two. So it's the ongoing story of Jesus, his words, and his works. So the book of Acts um, was written probably about A.D. 63-64. We know that Nero burned Rome in A.D. 65, so probably right before that. Some see a later date. It's hard to be sure. So the Gospel of Luke covers the birth of Jesus up to about A.D. 30. And then the book of Acts picks it up at A.D. 30 to A.D. 60. In order to understand uh, really the background of both of these books, it's helpful to see Luke's introduction to the Gospel of Luke. So maybe keep your thumb in Acts and turn back to chapter 1 of the Gospel of Luke. He says a couple things there that I want to highlight. So Luke chapter 1, verse 1. Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile an account of the things accomplished among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who were from the beginning, were eyewitnesses and servants of the word, it seemed fitting for me as well, having investigated everything carefully from the beginning to write it out for you in consecutive order, most excellent Theophilus, so that you might know the exact truth about the things you have been taught. So in both Luke and Acts, Luke identifies that he's writing to someone named Theophilus. It's a relatively common name in the first century, but Luke's title, Most Excellent, leads us to believe that this Theophilus was probably a high-ranking Roman official. It is highly likely then that he commissioned Luke to investigate and to write down an accurate record of the story of Jesus. Now, this was not unusual in these days that someone with position or power would commission someone to write something like this. Luke identifies this isn't really writing history for Luke. It's more like a a newspaper writer. He says, these are things that happened among us. It's contemporary history. He's talking to eyewitnesses of the events. He also identifies that he has been diligent to investigate in order to write the exact truth. When you're commissioned to write something from an, for a high-ranking Roman official, you don't take liberty with the details, the exact truth of what happened in the words and works of Jesus. We talked about this in our study of the Gospel of John. That it is right to consider 
these Gospels and the book of Acts as accurate documents from history. They meet every qualification for an accurate historical document. As a matter of fact, we would say they are far superior to anything that comes out of the ancient world. So let's imagine that we're out and about and we ask someone, do you think what's recorded in the Gospel of Luke, what's recorded in the book of Acts, is an accurate record of what actually happened in history? Most would say no. As a matter of fact, many of them would reply by saying no, that's just the Bible. As if somehow, because these books show up in the Bible, we can summarily dismiss them as not having credibility. Typically, when someone says that, they've given it very little thought. They've made no serious investigation. They often are very uninformed as to what's even in those books. And at the end of the day, they just don't care. So they just don't think they're true. Contrast that with someone who is highly educated, commissioned by a Roman official to talk to eyewitnesses, to thoroughly investigate in order to write the exact truth of what has happened. Who do you think probably then is right? So we're going to assume that both the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts are reliable, accurate records of history as well as inspired scripture. So flip then to the end of the Gospel of Luke, chapter 24. There's a little bit of an overlap between the end of the Gospel of Luke and the beginning of the book of Acts. So there's just like a little bit of going backwards in volume two, picking up the momentum, and then on with the story. So I want to pick it up in chapter 24, verse 46. Jesus is risen from the dead. He's been with his disciples for 40 days, off and on. And now he gives them his parting words, and he will ascend. Thus it is written that the Christ would suffer and rise again from the dead the third day, and that repentance for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things, and behold, I am sending forth the promise of my Father upon you. But you are to stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. And he led them out as far as Bethany, and he lifted up his hands and blessed them. While he was blessing them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they, after worshiping him, returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple praising God. So that's a wrap-up of the Gospel of Luke. It is the story of the death burial, and resurrection of Jesus for the forgiveness of sins. And now the mission is to take the message 
to the world that this is what God has done so that you may have new life. You may experience forgiveness. You may have life eternal in Christ. So he gives them their marching orders, tells them to wait in Jerusalem until they receive the necessary power to fulfill the mission, and then he ascends to the Father. Now back to Acts chapter 1, and you get more of an understanding of Luke's words in volume 2, Acts 1, 1. The first account I composed, so volume 1, Theophilus, about all that Jesus began to do and teach, implying this is then the continuing story. Until the day when he was taken up to heaven. After he had by the Holy Spirit given orders to the apostles whom he had chosen. To these he also presented himself alive. After his suffering by many convincing proofs. Appearing to them over a period of 40 days. And speaking of things concerning the kingdom of God. Gathering them together, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father had promised, which, he said, you heard of from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So it's important to understand that the book of Acts is not a handbook for how to do church. There's been a lot of bad theology that has come out of a misunderstanding of the purpose of Acts. Rather, it's the story of the birth and the development of the church. So think of it this way. Imagine you're looking at a photo album of my life. So here's a picture of little Brian when he was a baby. Here's little Brian when he's five, when he's 16, when he's 30, when he's 50. So you could look at any of those pictures and say, that's Brian. To which I would say, well, that was Brian when he was 16. But that's just one snapshot of my life. It's not my whole life. In the same way, each picture in the book of Acts, it's a snapshot of a moment in time of this is what was happening in the church at this period of time. But it's an ever-changing, growing story. So again, Luke identifies, this is written to Theophilus, volume two of the ongoing story of Jesus. He identifies that Jesus was with his apostles on and off for 40 days. And during that time, he talked to them about the kingdom, but he also showed them many convincing proofs. That Greek word that is translated there very strong word. This is the only place in the New Testament this word is used. 
it has to do with something that is infallible. It's absolutely clear, no doubt. Jesus is going to ask these 11 men to ultimately give their lives for the sake of the message of not only a crucified, but a resurrected Savior. There are 11 apostles at this point, 12 minus Judas. We are, are fairly certain that 10 of the 11 ultimately were executed as martyrs for the sake of the gospel. Only John lived into old age, exiled to the island of Patmos. Not a one of these ever changed his story or ever recanted from their belief in a resurrected Messiah. This is what Jesus is saying. In order for these men to believe this to such a degree they will give their lives to this cause, he presented them with infallible proof that he had indeed conquered sin and death once and for all. But he commands them not to leave Jerusalem until I send the Spirit. If you were here in our study of the Gospel of John, chapters 14, 15, and 16, Jesus talked to them about the Holy Spirit. He's going to have to leave, and he will send them his Spirit. And his Spirit will be with them forever and will empower them to accomplish the mission. Now think about this. 43 days earlier, these same men in the upper room promised, no matter what, they would be there for Jesus. A couple of hours later, in Jesus' hour of need, they all ran and fled. Peter even denied Jesus. This is 43 days later. Nobody changes in 43 days. We might wonder, Jesus, what are you doing? Choosing these guys to change the world. This is why Jesus said, wait there's one more thing you need. Because without this, you're certain to fail. And that is, I'm going to send you my spirit. And my spirit will give you the power. The word power is the Greek word from which we get our word dynamite. Explosive power that you need to accomplish the mission. It wasn't that the spirit was going to baptism baptize them. They weren't baptized by the Holy Spirit. The language is baptized in or with the Holy Spirit. The imagery is in the text. Just as John baptized you in the water, the water was the substance, so they're going to be baptized in the Spirit. 
Jesus said at the end of Luke, clothed in power from on high. Without the spirit of Jesus, there's no chance that the church can fulfill her mission. Verses six through eight then are the theme of the book of Acts. So it's stated here and then it's flushed out through the remaining chapters. So when they had come together, they were asking him saying, Lord, is it at this time you are restoring the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know times or uh, epochs which the father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power, explosive power, when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be my witnesses, both in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria, and even to the remotest part of the earth. So there's a lot of discussion about the disciples asking the question, is this the time you're restoring the kingdom to Israel? Many commentators are really hard on the apostles that they're just kind of a group of buffoons, they still don't get it, and Jesus was deeply discouraged by their question and rebukes them. I don't think that's the case. There's many other scholars who see this as more of a natural question. They're trying to figure this out. They were Jews who understood enough of the Old Testament to know there was a promise of a king in the line of David, the Messiah, who would usher in the ultimate kingdom that they longed for. So in the Gospels, there's lots of conversation about the kingdom of God. This is what Palm Sunday was about. They thought it was time for the ushering in of that kingdom. If you remember in the upper room, they're arguing about who's gonna be the greatest in the kingdom. But Luke just told us that during the 40 days after the resurrection, when Jesus was teaching them, he was teaching them about what? About the kingdom. The grammar in verse 6 reflects they were asking him continually. They're trying to figure this out. Now, again, before we're too hard on them, we're 2,000 years later with the whole of the Bible, and it's still argued about what exactly is meant by the kingdom of God. So they're trying to figure this out and they don't understand this is gonna happen in phases and it isn't time for the kingdom to come in in its fullness. So what Jesus says to them is I'm asking you to just lay that aside and just trust the Father that when it's time for the kingdom to come in in its fullness, he'll do that. The reason I'm asking you to do that, verse eight, but, is because I have an assignment that I need you to focus 
your attention on. And the assignment is this. When the Spirit of God comes upon you and empowers you, you are called on a mission to be my witnesses here in Jerusalem and around the world. In other words, Jesus is saying that based on his death, burial, and resurrection, Everything has changed. And for the first time in human history, someone is commissioned with an assignment to tell the world that this is what God has done for you. You can have your sins forgiven. You can experience new life and a future more glorious than you can imagine. That's your assignment. And I need you to have laser focus to accomplish the mission. It's very interesting to think about Jesus' words because that commission is not just for those 11. That is the commission for the church. That's the point. That's why we exist as the people of God. We have a job to do, both with our words and with our lives. Part of the assignment is to give people a glimpse of this kingdom. Something new and different started in the resurrection of Jesus. New creation. A bit of a glimpse of what will come in its fullness one day. And part of our responsibility together as the church is to at least give people of a, glim a glimpse of the world as God intended it to be. So when you have a year, like 2020, one of the things that happens is it brings all the prophecy people out of the woodwork. And they're making all kinds of predictions about whether or not COVID is the mark of the beast and who the Antichrist is and we're at the end of the world and all this speculation. The truth of the matter is, end times theology, what we refer to as eschatology, is very unclear. There are really good and godly scholars that completely disagree on how the story ends. Every position is full of speculation and guesswork. What we know with certainty, and all biblical scholars agree, is that Jesus is coming back. How exactly this is going to work out is very unclear. I take the position that what's unclear in the scripture is unclear on purpose. God does not have a communication problem. And often it's because he doesn't want us doing what we're doing. We get obsessed with these things just like the apostles were obsessed in figuring out the kingdom. So you can imagine Jesus saying, you know, here's the deal. I'm asking you to set that aside and not spend so much time obsessed with all of that. There's 101 things that can distract us 
that we can't control or change. What Jesus is asking is for us to set those things aside and with a laser-like focus, we've been given an assignment to take the greatest message of hope in the history of the world, next door and around the world. Empowered by the Spirit of God, that is the mission of the church. Verse 9, and after he had said these things, he was lifted up while they were looking on, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And as they were gazing intently into the sky, while he was going, behold, two men in white clothing stood beside them. They also said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking at the sky? This Jesus who has been taken up from you into heaven will come in just the same way as you have watched him go into heaven. This is what is referred to as the ascension of Christ. And it is a significant moment in history. We know that this is up on the back side of the Mount of Olives. This is 40 days after the resurrection. For 40 days, Jesus has come and gone and come and gone. But it's very important now that the disciples understand. This is not just another coming and going. This is the ascension. He's leaving. And as promised, then he will send his spirit to be with them and empower them and they have a job to do. Now, when it talks about the cloud, this is not saying that Jesus just went so high in the sky, he disappeared into a cloud. It is saying that Jesus entered in to the cloud of the Shekinah glory of God. This was the cloud from the book of Exodus that led the children of Israel by day. This is the cloud that met Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration when three of his apostles saw him transfigured in some way, got a bit of a glimpse of his glory to come. And now this is the amazing moment in history, having completed the assignment, that Jesus is returning to the glory of the Father, seated at the right hand, victorious, having completed his assignment to be the Savior of the world. This is his exaltation. And the disciples needed to understand so they're staring into the sky, maybe having a bit of a goose pimple moment. And two angels show up and essentially say, all right, fellas, what are you doing? Why are you staring into the sky? You've got a job to do. So they go back and they wait and we'll pick it up there next week. This is... 
one of the amazing moments in human history. The text tells us, the angels told the apostles, this same Jesus is coming back. So we have bookends of the most remarkable period of time in human history. And that is the period between the ascension of Christ and the return of Christ. Never in history has there ever been a period of time like this. In Genesis chapters 1 and 2, God gives us a glimpse of the world as he intended it to be. Chapter 3 brings sin, which separates us from God and brings chaos and heartache into the world, and we feel it every single day. But in chapter 3, there is a promise made that through the seed of a woman, one day God will do what's necessary to make it possible to get back to paradise. So for thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of years, the world waited. The promise was restated. The promise was celebrated. The promise was pictured and imaged. But finally, in a moment in time, the God of the universe took on human flesh and entered this world. Volume one is the story of Jesus who had come to earth to be the savior of the world. Jesus died on the cross for the sins of the world. He was buried and to demonstrate his victory over sin and death, literally bodily rose from the dead. For the first time in human history, the promise had been fulfilled. And Jesus would give his people an assignment that no people had ever been given before. Your job, until I come back, is to tell the world that I kept my promise and this is what I did for them. That if they're willing to believe by faith, I'll forgive their sin. I'll take away their shame and guilt. I'll make them a new creation. And I promise them a future more spectacular than words can describe. And it's all theirs as a gift. That's what I'm asking you to do. To make sure everyone, everywhere in the world, knows I kept my promise and this is what I did. There's never been a period of time in human history like this. We, as the people of God, are the only people in history who have been called to carry the message, mission accomplished, promise fulfilled. This is what God has done for you. If 2020 was the year of distractions, 
What do you say we make 2021 the year of laser-like focus? There's 101 things I can get distracted by that I can't control or change. So let's just imagine Jesus' return tomorrow. I don't know if he's coming tomorrow or 100 years from now. Nobody knows that. Let's imagine he comes back tomorrow. What of all those things that distract us would matter in that moment? It gives real clarity as to what actually matters. This is our assignment. This is what we're called to do as the people of God, the church. It's the continuing story of the words and work of Jesus. So I'm inviting you to join us with faith, with courage, with a laser-like focus, empowered by the Spirit of God, that in 2021, we will dare to be the church. Our Father, we celebrate this morning the good news of Jesus. God, if we believe what we say we believe, there's just no way we could keep this message to ourselves. God, may you use us to be the church and make a difference in this year ahead. In Jesus' name, amen.